You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music and technology. And I'm also the uh, director and founder of the Music Tectonics Conference, which is basically why we have this podcast to uh, bring forth the conversations that we're going to have at the conference, but also year round. So we put up episodes every week, as our regular listeners know, and we cover a wide variety of subjects. We're going to do something interesting today. As you regular listeners know, we're starting to bring more and more information about what's going to be taking place at the conference and bringing in some of the voices of people who are partners and speakers and and things like that. And uh, today I'm really excited to have with me Michael Bassal, who is with Tradable Bits. Uh, He's the entertainment lead uh, for, for sales for Tradable Bits. If the name Tradable Bits sounds familiar... Uh, you may remember we had an interview with their CEO, Darshan Kaler, not too long ago. And so you got a bit of a good overview of what Tradable Bits is, but it is some interesting and, and complicated info. And we wanted to get into more detail because our buddy Michael here um, has an interesting perspective about fan-oriented data and marketing. Hey, Michael, it's so good to have you on the show. Hey, everyone. Hey, Dimitri. Uh, thanks for having me over. Uh, it, it's actually funny to be on your podcast now after hearing so many of those episodes. Um, I'm kind of excited, excited to share some of that info. And yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're a, a, a regular listener. Um, you know, when you're on a podcast, uh, starting it off and, you know, we've been doing it for a little over a year, you're always, you can't see your audience. So it's cool <laughs> to have folks come on who's been, who've been listening. So, you know, just in case anyone missed that interview with Darshan, let's kick it off with explaining what Tradable, Tradable Bits does just real quick. Yeah, for sure. So uh, at Tradable Beats, we're a technology company. Uh, our focus is on data. Our focus is on what we like to call fan-based marketing. So our product really helps companies in the music, sports, and entertainment verticals in exploring their fan base, engaging with their fans, collecting their data, and activating their data through advertising. So most of our clients end up being in the live event space, like Live Nation, Lollapalooza, Bonnaroo, or in the sports side with teams such as, you know, the Toronto Raptors, Dallas Mavericks, and many more. That's cool. So you've got some significant traction. Yes, we, we are, you know, we're a 10 years old company. We like to behave uh, a bit like a 10 years old startup. So we're really dynamic. We're really focused on building new technology. And, you know, right now we, we got to the point that we really want to extend the technology that we've built for those verticals into the labels and the kind of more recorded side of the music industry. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation uh, and I hope we can spark some interesting kind of discussions in between, you know, all the people that listen to your podcast. Well, that's that's cool because at, at Music Tectonics, we frequently talk about uh, how the digitization of music has led to a huge amount of data now being generated. So it's really cool to bring you in from the live and live entertainment and, and sports side of it, um, whereas we're looking at data about what tracks have been played, data about royalties, data about social engagement, all that stuff. So there's overlap and it's a lot of information to take in. And even if you have access to the data, it's very hard to parse it at times. So I'm curious, why are you guys so focused on data and what sort of insights do you think artists, managers, and labels should be looking for? That's a really interesting question. You know, our focus is not only on data. Our focus is on people, right? So one thing that we need to understand is that data without context doesn't really mean anything. It's a string of number, it's a piece of information that lives on the internet and gets communicated from point A to point B. Where we come in and help, we really try to understand who are your fans. 
Uh, a really good example kind of to understand why do you need a product like that is that let's take an example of a Spotify for artists, right? They give you um, analytics. You can know that people in between 18 and 24 in Germany has listened to your song. Where we come in is we try to understand who are these people? Where have we seen them in the past? How can we use the information that we can collect on one individual, not just to you know, have the data and use it because we think it's the right thing to do, but to really enhance their experience. So our core job is, is not only about collecting data, it's about what data are we collecting, what context are we adding to the data, and how can we really activate it? So from most of my conversations in the music side, so in the labels, let's call it side of things, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of data that exists. So everybody's sitting on a lot of data. Right. The real challenge is really having that infrastructure that allows you to use the data in a productive way. I, I want to talk about that because I think you're exactly right. From what I've seen, you can you can either get data as as a as a label or or a manager artist. You can get data from the streaming services uh, one by one and try to try to make some sense of it and figure out how to like get that data from one service and another service and try to triangulate. Not to mention data you can get from the social media platforms, or you can work with uh, a company like Chartmetric that kind of puts it all together for you and gives you some data visualization. But at that point, you really don't know that much about the fan, right? You know about trends, you know about some of the way this song's getting used on playlists or the way that it's uh, getting traction in, in, in different platforms, whether it's music streaming or social media. But you're talking about actually being able to see a specific fan, like know who the fan is. What is it that you, you guys are able to find out about a fan? And then how does that influence marketing? Yeah, so for us, you know, it all starts from what do we consider a fan? You know, uh, technologically speaking, there's a bit of a difference in between what we consider a fan in real life versus what is a fan technologically speaking. What does that mean? What does that look like? What data do we need to create a fan? So for us, we base all of our information on first party data. And the idea is that we always want to find a way to create experiences so that the user feels comfortable opting in for their information. Uh, and for us, it's about understanding who's that individual on a multi-platform level. So what we're really trying to do here is breaking the silos. A challenge that I've seen happening a lot in the industry is that we consider the social medias, the social networks, or in general, any network that, that gives us engagement as its own ecosystem. An example is Spotify doesn't talk to Apple Music, and Facebook doesn't talk to Snapchat, and TikTok doesn't communicate with Spotify. So what we're trying to do is we are trying to look at the individual. Because I'll give an example of myself. You know, I have a Facebook account, I have a Twitter account, I have a LinkedIn account, Twitch, I purchase tickets, I listen to music. It's always myself, right? It's always the same individual human being that is, is kind of doing the same activities. So our goal is to be able to find an individual on multiple different platforms and connect all of those dots to have what we call a, a single fan-centric view. So it's, it's about learning as much as we can on an individual, whether it's their listening behavior, whether it's their purchasing behaviors, so how much money they spend on tickets, how much money they spend on merch, whether it's social media data, have they engaged with us in the past? So it's, it's about really adding all of those layers of information into understanding who the person is, which is something that it, it's a challenge to explain sometimes, but at the end of the day, it, it's pretty realistic. Is Imagine like if you have a store, and you never know who's the individual coming in to buy your goods. It's, it's a pretty 
uh, interesting scenario where we are in the music industry because most of our infrastructure is based on other industries. An right. example is Spotify is a technology company. Apple is a technology company. Uh, same goes for Live Nation is a ticketing company. Their job is to sell tickets. Uh, so the core here is how can we shift that ownership so that it really lives inside the industry? And probably the, the best way to start this type of thing is from the artists themselves. Hmm. Well, this is super interesting because now it's almost like I, I, I can imagine, and I remember this coming up with my earlier interview with, with uh, Tradable Bits on the podcast, almost thinking of you guys as like a hub spot for music in a way where you could almost click on a fan uh, contact info, their name or their email or something, and then see all of their data. Um, and just to, to imagine a future, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get quite like that necessarily, but to imagine a future where you get that level of data about an individual fan, and then you can segment and target fans according to where they are and how they use and how they discover and what other artists they like and whether they're people who buy merch versus people who stream versus people who go to concerts. That's crazy powerful. So much different than being like, well, I got on a playlist um, it seems to be doing great. I'm not really sure how to reach those people again. <laughs> That's exactly correct, Dimitri. And I think is what, what we're trying to, to work is shifting that, that responsibility and that control to the label. Because the last point that you just said is, in my opinion, one of the biggest hurdles for the music industry. The example of releasing a song, getting on a big playlist, it's beautiful, right? We got a lot of traction. We got a lot of streams. Everybody's happy, the label, the artist, and so on. Now, six months later... We're still trying to build the artist and we're releasing a new song. We have no reference of who are the fans, right? So every single time, imagine if we had a, a company that every single product that we launch is like for a new startup. So right. every new song is a new company. Every new album, every new cycle is a new company. And we always need to start from zero. So the way that we look at it and the way that, that I'm, I personally think it's definitely going that way because it's, 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 you know, it's not only us doing it. It's also a matter of what the clients need. And from my conversation with the labels, how they're doing their data strategy is becoming a top priority where one or two years ago, it would have been, you know, a number three or four on the priority list. So yeah. it's about building on the long term. It's about mm -hmm. building value and value is different than engagement, in my opinion, because engagement is a one-off activity, right? Somebody comes, streams the song, that's great. They made us four cents, let's call it. If we know who the user is and we're able to kind of reach them and talk to them in the places where they want to be talked to, it's way easier for us to drive revenue. An example that I like to always use is that if we get a thousand people to spend a hundred dollars, which is, we're not talking about numbers that are unrealistic here. We're talking about numbers that are really, really doable. Uh, you can buy two sweaters, two t-shirts, a hat and a t-shirt in a whole year long, it's $100,000, right? If we were to do $100,000 in streaming, it's going to take us, you know, a label deal, marketing budget, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where what we want to do is we want to empower you to control your revenue. We want to empower you to make sure that you own the revenue and that you're not relying on gatekeepers, on playlisters, on curators, because if the second song comes out and it doesn't get on, you know, top hits or fresh finds or whatever it is, that cannot be a marketing strategy, which is something that I've seen, I've seen happening is what's the marketing strategy for the album? Let's get on the playlist. Right. That's not a marketing strategy only because of the reason that you don't have any way to control that. You can pitch right. and everybody can pitch the, the kind of the same, same people, but 
when you know who your fans are, you are owning their value and you know what's the fan lifetime value because you can track all of their purchases, all of their activations, where do they stream you, what's their name, where they come from. And now we can use that information to scale. Because if I have 10,000 people that I know who they are and I know what they like and I know how they like to behave, it's way easier for me to go find new 10,000 people. Can we talk about this whole concept of first-party data and how you actually put it into practice? Because as soon as you say everything you just said, I'm like, yes, that's it. If I was managing an artist, if I was running a label, I'm in. That's That's how I want to do stuff. But then I say, all right, well, first of all, how do you get this first party data? And then secondly, how do you connect it up to this wide variety of methods of engagement that music listeners have from tickets to streaming to merch? As a, a, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. So, so, so what, where, where does this all start? And then how do you connect it all together? Right. As a great salesperson, I should tell you it starts at Tradable Beats. <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a person that works in the music industry, I would tell you that it starts with the infrastructure. We can't expect to collect first-party data if we don't have an infrastructure to manage that data and to give context to the data. And that's where technology partners just like us, and there's plenty of other ones all over the world in different verticals and industries, that's where they really help in collecting is. So the way that we see it is that we are always focusing on first-party data and for us to get the fan to feel comfortable in sharing their data, we decided to come up with a model that is called engagement campaigns. So those are turnkey campaigns. You know, they range from a personality quiz all the way to a personalized playlist. And at that point, what we're really doing is we're building value for the fan to feel comfortable to share their data. Because one thing that we don't want to do, and as a user, I'm assuming we can all agree on that, we don't want to force the user into an experience because we need that. The way that we work is everything is tied to the user experience. So on the first party data thing, for me, it's really simple. Is do you want to own or do you want to rent? You know, you have 10,000 fans on Facebook. You don't own any of that. Facebook knows exactly who they are. Facebook sells that information to advertisers and that's their business model. You are not monetizing it. You're not making any dollars out of it. First party data is a whole other game because now we're talking about your own ecosystem, all the data that is flowing through the door. If we have used the right terms and conditions and and rules and regulations for the campaigns, it's usable and it's really owned by you. So you can really start to understand the information. Now, there is a really interesting, in my opinion, approach to first party data, which is double sided. I like to call it passive data and active data. Passive data are all of those hooks that we can put in our ecosystem so we can continuously collect information without to have to activate on it. A good example, merch. If we connect Shopify, Merch Bar, any other store into your CRM, which is where you store all that information, every single time that the user purchases a good, we are collecting the data. So that's passive. We don't really need to go out there and incentivize the user to share the information. The active side of it, which in my opinion, that's where it gets the, what's the creativity comes out. Those are the engagement campaigns that we just talked about. So that means we have to find ways to create additional value for the fan so that they feel comfortable enough to share their information with us. Uh, we've done a lot of campaigns. Uh, we've had a lot of success with using, for example, Spotify social logins. Uh, it is all a matter of what ecosystem are we trying to build? And definitely companies like ours, and, and you know, there's, again, more out there, they can help kickstart your project when you 
are not in reality a technology company, which is fully understandable. Wow, that's that's a lot there, and it's really interesting because I think you got into the specifics here. Um, and 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 just to clarify, when you say first party data, you mentioned the Shopify thing. So clearly, you get a lot of data when somebody purchases, say, from your website or from your app, and all of a sudden, you now have some identifiers for who this fan is. And then if they log in with their Spotify information, then you can connect that together. I assume with some of those engagement campaigns where people aren't purchasing necessarily, you're you, you mentioned personalized playlists. Uh, personality profiles. At the same time, at some point, you're going to want to ask them for an email address or a mobile number. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. So the way that it works for us is that we always uh, collect in a first party way, first name, last name, and email. So also, if we have a campaign where a user is authenticating with Spotify, we don't collect any PII from Spotify. At the end of the campaign, we would ask for the user to add their first name, last name, email. Now, a lot of people would get back to me and tell me, okay, I can go there and put uh, paul.james at gmail.com. You're never going to find me. You're never going to know it's me. And the reason why people don't do it is because we incentivize that with prices. So a good example is we're giving away tickets. We're giving away bundles. We're giving away any type of pricing, hats, vinyls, anything. So the idea is that the user wants to share the right information for the upside that if they win, they want to make sure that we're able to contact them. So... This is where I was coming from the point that it's it's about the ecosystem and it's about the strategy. Some brands feel more comfortable in you know being more fan-facing and more direct to the fan. Some brands find more comfort in a different kind of avenue where it's more behind the scenes and we don't really want to be too pushy and too cheesy, et cetera, et cetera. So it does depend on what's your strategy. But at the end of the day, again, the focus here is the people. And the only way for you to learn more about the people is to be able to collect the first party data at scale. Right. So can I can I ask you what are some of the coolest uh, methods you've used for these engagement campaigns? What are what are some of the favorite things that you've done that you feel are like super creative? Um, or if you're still early on that, what are some dream scenarios that you're just waiting for a label or a manager to come to you and say, "Let's do it, Let, Michael. Show me your best thing and let let's do it." Yeah, for sure. That's a beautiful question, actually. Uh, I think on things that we've done in the past, most exciting things that we have been working on were tied to Spotify. Uh, there's a big gap in between what we know about the listeners and what the listeners know about the music. So we rarely know what our fans listen to. We can make a lot of assumptions saying that, for example, because you like the Facebook page of Dua Lipa, you might like Dua Lipa, which is a fair assumption, no doubts. Mm -hmm. But it's really rare for us to get you know, facts, data that says, okay, this user has listened to XYZ in the past 30 days. So the Spotify things are definitely really interesting. Personalized playlists are awesome. What it does is that a user connects with their Spotify. We take their listening behavior, match it to a reference that the client gives us. If it's a festival, usually it's a lineup. Uh, for a label, it can be their roster. For an artist, it can be their catalog. And it then generates a, a personalized type of playlist. Uh, we have also done a lot of interesting things on the sports side where, where, in my opinion, there's a lot more brand partnership activation and there's more brand dollars to be able to really innovate. Uh, I think one of the coolest things that we've done in the past year uh, was with our partners at the Toronto Raptors and Google. Uh, we were trying to build an activation for a Google Home. So that ties back to the point that it's there's no right way to do a data strategy. There's a way that fits your ecosystem and there's a way that doesn't fit your ecosystem. And I think that's where the challenge really comes. Did you say that ties in through Google Home? 
Is that what you said? Yes, sir. So, so you're actually collecting this data via smart speakers. We're trying to. There's not a lot of data collection happening in this one because it's really anonymous, right? We don't oh. know who are the people that are using the Google Homes. But for now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to explore how can we use voice activated device as an engagement tool. Because at the end of the day, the scope is engaging the fan, right? And the bottom line is making dollars for most of the business that I know of. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to make sure that we're always finding the newest avenues to engage with fans. And I think, for example, that smart speakers are a really big piece in how users consume music. Uh, they're becoming more and more part of our day to day. I don't think I know one person, for example, in my office that doesn't have uh, a smart speaker. Um, I know a lot of DSPs are working on ways to kind of streamline and, and optimize that experience. Uh, it is a really new market, right? So there's a lot of um, A-B testing that has to be done to see what defenders really react well with. Yeah. I mean, I've heard about these interactive, personalized advertising, like choose your own adventure, smart speaker stuff, but I haven't experienced myself and I don't know how far it's gotten. But certainly when it gets to that point, you know, I, I know we've had artists on the uh, Emma McGann is a, a, a live streaming artist that we had on the um, podcast uh, last year who did like a lyric quiz through the smart speakers. So I could see if the, you get that engagement, but then you could go beyond that to where people can actually submit some first party data, then you start to build a, a full picture of who they are in a way that feels more human, not filling out a form. That's exact. And honestly, to the going back to the question you were asking, what, what would you want to test with a label? Uh, the, the case that you were saying, you know, things about lyrics, new releases, new album, how can we maybe get pre-access to our top fans and make them become our marketing arm, make them become our ambassadors? It, it's. I think there's a lot of interesting things that can be done. And I really want to be the champion and, and kind of working on bringing back the ownership to the artist. And I know it's a pretty cliche type of, uh, of conversation. We've seen it on royalties. We've seen it on contracts. But I think people are not facing the data piece of it as much as they should. Because the more we keep data outside of our ecosystem, the harder it becomes to grow a long-term business. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, like you said, Facebook and the social platforms, they've kind of put a barrier between the artist or label and the fan, right? And streaming services as well, right? On the one hand, they've built a bridge to them, right? But you, on the other hand, you don't really have the key to the bridge. <laughs> That's correct. And so you're saying get in front of that with this new relationship where you actually are engaging with them at a place where then once they go off to the platforms, the streaming services, you're actually tracking them one by one. You can actually see all their engagement with your music. The idea is like that. Yeah, the more information we can get, the more users we can get to opt in, the more information we can collect. Everything is tied to what can we legally do. Uh, we're talking about data. So we need to make sure that everything that we're collecting and everything we're storing, we're allowed to and we're legally kind of not liable for that particular uh, piece. Um, there's a lot of really interesting things happening right now. I think we are hitting that moment where a lot of artists are trying, starting to understand that that barrier that was built does not exist anymore because internet really does kind of level up the field. You know, I can reach you in Germany as much as Germany can reach me in Canada. So it's a, uh, it's really about finding what is the new uh, generation of data. And again, it all comes from the artists starting to value data, not just as a commercial tool, not just as something that, that kind of drives revenue, but also as intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, the more you know about your fans, 
the more kind of authentic also your relationship is, right? Because if I know the way that you like to talk and the way that you like to speak and that you like to use Zoom calls and that you like to spend $30, I'm not going to come and tell you here is a $100 ticket for a Google Meet because I know that it doesn't fit you. So I'm not going to waste money and I'm not going to waste time. I'm just going to talk to people the way that they want to be talked to and I'm going to use that data to tailor the communication that I have with these guys. Right. Or girls. You know, before we widen out a bit, I do want to ask, you, you touched on this in, in a few different places in our conversation already, but what else, once you have this first party data, what else do you see uh, uh, labels or managers doing to further the the marketing and and what kind of decisions and budgets can you spend once you have this information? What are some uh, uh, additional examples of how once you now know the, these fan profiles that you can then reach to them and, and get a different level of engagement? Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple of, of directions there. Number one, there's the, the the press related one. If we can create surprise and delight experiences for our fans, we are creating communication, we are creating content, we are creating knowledge, and we are empowering our fans to become, again, as I was mentioning before, ambassadors, because we're building that one-to-one -one relationship at scale. And I think it also goes back to what are we trying to achieve? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's all about where are we trying to go? The idea for us is that we have all the information. Once we have it, once we've cleaned it and we know that we can use it, at that point, we want to use that data to sell more, whether it's merchandise, whether it's, again, albums, whether it's streams, whether it's driving traffic to DSPs. It is about furthering you know, the success of a particular artist. Mm -hmm. On the label side, I also look at it in a way that, you know, if you have a bigger artist, and don't quote me on this one, it's a bit less complicated to really create opportunities, right? Because there's a bigger funnel of opportunities that are coming to the act, it's easier to create. Now, the real challenge is how can I sign an up-and-coming artist and using the data that I've collected legally, use that information to further the growth of what they could have been usually doing in five years in one year? Mm. And not because the artist is better, different, they're smarter or anything similar. It's just because you're basing your decision on facts. You're basing on decision on the fact that I know this group of people like that type of music. So that's a great target for me. And this is where I think the mentality needs to change. This is not about a one activity. This is about continuously building and enriching and enriching. What's going to happen is that in two, three years, you're going to have a huge competitive advantage on the rest of the labels that are not going to be able to talk with these people because you have first party data that you can activate at your own will. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, in a way, people have been saying for years in the music industry, collect email addresses, collect email addresses, collect email addresses. And you're saying, yes, do that, but also integrate it with all the other data you can see. So now you really get a full profile of who they are. That's correct. I think, Dimitri, if you put mine and your email one next to each other, data-wise, they say the same thing. They're two emails, mm -hmm. right? Like, they're, they're not different. Uh, they, they really don't have any... They're 2D. They're superficial. Once we enrich that information, that's where we start to understand, okay, what are the differences between Dimitri and Michael? Because if they try to target you, or if they try to target me, although we both have an email, which is a fact, <laughs> we're not similar, right? And the email does not tell us that information. So we need to enrich the email, which is a great starting point, with personalized information, information about the individual. Right. And what you were talking about just before about record labels, it kind of brings it back to the whole concept of a record label, that it's a label that you're putting on a bunch of stuff, but it's a cura it's a sort of a curatorial role where the label's like, okay, 
we have this kind of pool of potential fans that we speak to across multiple artists, multiple releases, and so forth. So they have that advantage of kind of then comparing the data across artist to artist and remarketing to the right, sub, I guess, segments of their, of their kind of fan pool. That's true. And in the interest of the artist, you know, I've seen it with people that I personally know. When you go to a label and you, you're sitting down for a deal and you have the data, your deal completely changes, mm -hmm. completely flips on its head. Because at that point, you know, you know who to talk to. You know how to talk to them. That's your kind of strength. Probably and that's what assets. you're bringing to the table. Yeah. So, you know, your offering just went up just because you already know who to sell to. The label needs to do half the job. Mm. Interesting. It'd be interesting to look at label deals according to how much data each individual artist is bringing to the table. Yeah, I think it's the same as, uh, you know, we've seen it happening this year. Somebody gets a really good song on Spotify, maybe they do 20, 30, 40 million plays, and then the label picks it up. The reason why they do it is because it's uh, it's proven, right? They their, their risk is going down because it's already proven that the users, the fans like the song and that are continuing to stream it, and it's going to make revenue forever, ideally. So data has the same value. And this is the, the kind of notion that I want to try to, to break a little bit here. Data means dollars. Data means money. And it's not just because it's a good catchphrase. It is because the more we know about somebody, the more revenue we can generate about that particular relationship. Got it. All right. So you guys are looking at this idea of data collection and then and then building out these profiles all the time. I'm curious, are there any data collection tools or other tools that you're keeping an eye on either in the music industry or elsewhere? Well, yeah, actually, I'm not sure if there are data collection tools in the specific, but uh, I have some tools, you know, that I, I like to see how people are using them. For me, a good product is when people take it and use it in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I have seen in the past that has been awesome in my personal opinion, uh, it's a company called Community. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with it. They provide uh, SMS services that are really, really personalized. So that when the, when the artist sends you a message, it really looks like your friend just sent you a message. And there's ways to really personalize the type of communication depending on who the fan is. Uh, we have seen a lot of artists having success with it and really being able to build that kind of one-to-one -one relationships that were almost like friends, but at a scale of 100,000 fans and 200,000 fans, which for me is the most complicated thing to do, technologically speaking. So community has been a really nice one. Uh, there's a lot of other people building tools. I'm excited. You know, I think there's a silver lining in this, in this period of history that people are going to really, and they are already pushing the envelope. I I'm sure you know, Dimitri, how many live streaming companies did you see pop mm -hmm. up in the last six months? Yes. Uh, we know a lot of time we make fun of it, but as a, as a tech geek, for me, this is the most exciting time because brains are getting out there and being creative to find solutions, which yeah. is what technology is all about. Yeah, cool. So I, I can't not mention this. Um, there's kind of a shift in, in, in the public awareness of all this data that's floating around. I, I know that the n recent Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, is kind of haunting my LinkedIn feed or, or personal conversations. The premise being that social media and tech companies are collecting all this data. They have too much influence on our lives without us knowing it, and sometimes maybe even to the detriment of our own mental health. On the other hand, you can make the case that in an industry like music, where so many of the interactions are taking place in digital form, data insights, like you're saying, are the only thing that have 
uh, that, that you have for building a career or a business in music. What do you, what do you think is a healthy way to look at this, the, the balance here about the use of data at this moment in time? Yeah, it's a really interesting space for us because we are individuals that work at technology companies, but at the same time are also the end users of all of these platforms that we're talking about. So it's a, you know, you're, you're half pulled on one side, half pulled on the other one. But I think there's one core thing that is fundamental to understand is that not all data comes equal, right? When we're talking about data, data itself as a word doesn't really mean much. It means information. Now, the data without the context, like we were saying earlier, is really unutilizable is a string of line of numbers. So what really, in my opinion, is the challenge of what kind of the social dilemma really brought on is how comfortable do we feel with sharing all that information with things that we don't know of? Mm -hmm. And the thing of us spending too much time on our phones and too much time on, on Twitter and Facebook, I'm, I'm, I'm part of that problem. I, you know, I sit down on Twitter and I, I enjoy spending time on it and I do understand the, the toxicity of it, but I don't think it's tied to the data, it's tied to what are we doing with that data? Now, Cambridge Analytica opened up this new uh, view, point of view on data that is kind of showing you what happens when you collect data with context and you use it in the wrong way. And that's not the way that data is being used all over the world and not by all of the companies. The concept here is that every single time that we go online and we do anything, whether it's you're clicking on a page, getting anywhere, some data is being generated. So we cannot avoid the data what we can do is work better on finding better processes of how legally this data can be used. So, you know, I I'm, I would completely understand the point that it is, you know, social dilemma as an example, as a piece of content is trying to make. And they've been successful at it because they've sparked a lot of conversation. But I think it's really not about being scared, but it's about being knowledgeable. It's about understanding and it's about knowing where do you want to share your information. Before I joined Tradable Bits, it was, I didn't really know much about data, I'll be honest. I, I would go and yeah, I log in with Facebook. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I, I didn't even really think that that piece of data would go anywhere. Uh, right now, I'm a lot more aware and I would suggest anybody to be aware, you know, you want to make sure that you have that control. And this is also the reason why as a company, you want to make sure that you only own things that you should own. You don't want to own data that you're legally not allowed to have because it's way bigger liability than than the outcome that you can get out of it. Right, right. Good. Okay. So we've done this deep dive into music and, and how you can use data to, to build a story around fans. Um, and and we're, we'll be wrapping up here shortly. But before we let you go, I'm, I want to ask you a couple other questions, because especially as somebody who listens to Music Tectonics, I always love asking the Music Tech geeks what else they're keeping an eye on. What are the, what are the trends in Music Tech or innovation that you're keeping a close eye on right now, Michael? But for me, I'm really looking at people that are trying to innovate, right? So for me, I'm also personally kind of pushed towards data. So for me, every time that I see new data platforms, new data technology platforms, I'm always excited to learn more about it. Uh, to be honest, though, the most exciting thing that I've seen, and it was really, really recent, uh, and it was this, uh, I think it was called DillSim, as in Dill Simulator. And it was a, a website that allows you to calculate how much money do you need to do or how many streams do you need to do to pay back your advances? Hmm. Which in my opinion is not as interesting as the tool itself, but as in the conversation that it's sparking. So right. showing people what does this number really mean? Because sometimes we hear, oh, you got a 2 million advance. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. And then you go crunch some numbers and you're like, okay, this sounds more like a kind of prison for the next couple of years because we're not going to see any dollars. So that was 
definitely really awesome. And the other thing that I would also suggest everyone, you know, that is listening to this is look at other industries. Uh, it's really hard to innovate if we're looking always kind of to our feet. We're not looking ahead. Uh, one thing that I've done lately is, you know, really focus on seeing what sports is doing, what are theaters doing, what are media companies doing, how are they evolving their business. And this is where I see most of the innovation happening. Uh, we have this weekly, uh, let's call it a series called This Week in Fun Marketing. If you guys don't have the patience to go, you know, read long articles and so on, we're going to give you a one-minute pill. You're more than welcome to come see it. But I think, again, this period is going to drive a lot of new technology to come out. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been great. Now, you're coming out to the Music Tectonics Conference. People will be able to stop by your digital exhibit booth and find out more. What are you hoping to get out of the conference, Michael? I really want to meet people that are forward-thinking and ideally in the label sphere. Mm -hmm. What I want is finding champions. Uh, the way that I see our expansion in the industry is really not tied to dollars. It's tied to finding the right people that understands this message that we're trying to push. Uh, I think we're hitting the point in, in time of history where a lot more people are starting to look at data as their, what would I do with it and what should I do with it? And I, I encourage everyone that comes to Music Tectonics to come have a chat. I think it's always great to share experience. Um, and I would love to find ways to help you know, any of the participants, if there's a way that I can really do it. I'm, I'm excited that you guys are going to come in, Michael, because, um, I mean, you obviously have so much passion for this and uh, have have both some interesting perspective on the live side, but also diving into, you know, where things can go on the recorded side, pushing things beyond just getting on a playlist. Um, and uh, I think you're going to find a lot of uh, cool allies, friends, champions at, at Tectonic. So I'm, I'm pumped to have you there. Any, any final shout outs before we wrap up for today? Uh, final shout outs to my company. They've been struggling and, you know, pushing really, really hard in the past six months during Corona. And I'm excited we were able to cap it all here. And one more shout out that I would do, and this is, I think, for the sake of everyone listening, go join Cherry Who's Discord. There's a lot of gold happening there. You should be there. I am there. A lot of other people are there. Come learn more. Come chat more. Awesome. Yeah. Sherry, who is an awesome, great friend of Music Tectonics. She'll be speaking at our conference as well. And uh, that's, that's a great shout out. Hey, Michael, thanks again for joining. Looking forward to seeing you at the end of October. Thanks for having me, Dimitri. That was uh, really fun. I appreciate it. It was a blast. And thank you for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. Yes, the conference is going online October 27th, 28th, 2020. We are going to actually try out some of the stuff that Michael was talking about. We, um, you know, we try to practice what we preach at Music Tectonics. So go to musictectonics.com. Make sure you're signed up to our newsletter and keep an eye out. We're going to be running a social contest ourselves where you get, post, uh, get to post information about the conference to your network and we'll be giving away a couple of VIP tickets. We'll be giving away some badges to the conference. So make sure to go to musictectonics.com and follow our social media um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so forth, and find out about the contest because it's a great opportunity to spread the word, build a network, and win free prizes. Um, again, thanks so much for listening, and we'll have more episodes soon. You're listening to Music Tectonics.